If you've not already done so, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the little book of 1 Peter. We are concluding our study this summer of this little book, and we've had Bible study groups that have been meeting in homes all summer and taking each of these studies a little bit further. And, um, and I've enjoyed 1 Peter. Have you? What a precious book, and I think we need it. Because if we ever needed to know how to live in a very scary world, it's today. When we have terrorists that have stated that their aim is to destroy all Christians and they hate us. When we have a government that increasingly is less friendly and um, more intimidating to people of faith, particularly Christians. When we live in a world like that where there's all kinds of hostility and animosity, we need to know how to face persecution as the sons and daughters of God. Uh, it is fitting that the last message in the series, I'm calling it the safest place on earth because Peter is describing that in these verses in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 11. Where is the safest place on earth? Well, all through the Bible, the answer is the same. Uh, King David, for example, in Psalm 18, verse 2, tells us, the Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, and my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The safest place on earth is found in a relationship with God. And so our statement is, the safest place on earth belongs to those who have a personal relationship with God, with a God who is mighty with a God who's in charge, with a God who's in control, with a God who loves us. And so our focus of this passage is Peter is telling us, and as we're learning from him, he's telling us the safest place on earth. How do we get there? How do we find this place, this special relationship with God? Number one, realize that nothing can happen to you without your Father's permission. Nothing. Nothing comes into your life that doesn't come through his permission. Look at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And, and what is this mighty hand of God that Peter is talking about? Well, he's talking about the, the sovereignty of God. Whenever anything happens to you, there is always present the mighty hand hand of God. And what is that like? What does that mean to say that God's hand is mighty? Well, it means that God does what he wants to do. In Psalm 135 verse 5, for I know that the Lord is great and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He does whatever he wants. The talk about his mighty hand means that God does what he wants when he wants. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, he says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. All of it. God knows everything there is to know. 
In Psalm 147, verse 5, the Bible says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you're going to do before you do it, everything you're going to say. In Psalm 139, verse 4, it says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. It means that God works through us, and he works through others to accomplish his will. You'll remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament and how his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, and he went through a terrible time. And then towards the end of his life, he was exalted, became the number two man of Egypt, and through the wisdom that God gave him, he was used to save his own family and thousands and thousands of other people. And then at the end of his life, in Genesis 50, verse 20, when he meets his brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so in this terrible experience that he was having, he could have focused just on his brothers, but there was something God was doing. And so everything that comes to you and me, I need to recognize that it came because of the permission of God. This is what Paul means in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Very familiar passage to many of us. Paul writes, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. What is that good? To those who are called according to his purpose. What is that purpose? If all things are working together for good, and there's a purpose, he has a purpose involved, what is it? Well, he tells us in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God is good, and everything God does is good, and what he's accomplishing in the life of the Christian, the one who follows Christ, is he is molding your life to make you more and more like Jesus. You know what that means? That means that anything that happens to you, every event that comes into your life, that God has looked at it, he has studied it, he knows it, he understands it, he has limited it, he has shaped it, and he is making sure that the impact of that thing in your life is good. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing happens to you that somehow slipped past God, where he says, oops, I'm sorry about that, I, I was asleep. Nothing like that ever happens. He is fully aware of everything that is coming into your life. This week, the staff and I were talking about a particular passage of Scripture, and, and it has spoken to me, and it helps me understand how he does this. In John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus write, says, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, he's talking in this passage about the Holy Spirit and how the relationship between you and God changes when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now, I know you're about to be amazed at my artistic ability. I have worked hours and hours on this diagram. I want you to look at it. There it is. All right, grab a piece of paper. You can do this at home. Hey, that's my aim. Make it easy. And what, what is Jesus telling us in John 14, verse 20? He says, at that day you will know first that I am in my Father. So there's the Father, and who is in the Father? Jesus is in the Father. And then he says, you are in me. 
So Jesus is in the Father, but we're in Jesus. And then he goes one step further through the Holy Spirit. He says, I am in you. Now this is hugely significant. This is incredible because that means that any problem, any trouble, any suffering, any persecution, anything that comes into my life must first go through the Father, doesn't it? And when it comes, the Father looks at it. He says, all right, it's going to go this way. I'm going to shape it this way. I know this is coming. And he approves it. He permits it to come into your life. And then it comes to who's next? Jesus. It comes to Christ. And then it comes to the Father. It has to come through the Son. Before it ever touches you, before it ever comes into your life, before it ever affects you, it must first go through the Father and the Son. And even internal turmoil, who, has it, who, who does it have to go through first? Jesus, because Jesus is in you. So you're covered. And before anything gets to you, and when it happens to you, you need to know that if I'm going to go to the safest place on earth, I need to know that everything that happens to me is not an accident and that God is on his throne, he is in control, and he has measured this thing for good. There's a second thing I need to know if I'm going to get there, to find the safest place on earth. Number two, yield yourself to what God is doing. Yield yourself to what God is doing. Look again at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. When something happens to you or happens to me and we weren't expecting it, there are a lot of things that I think about doing. A lot of things come to mind, but humbling myself is not one of them. <laughs> what, are we, what are we more likely to do? Oh, God, what is this about? Uh, are you there, Lord? Why are you letting this happen to me? You know, my tendency, I don't know about you, is maybe to complain or to grumble and uh, to wonder what's going on and to say, this can't be God, this must be something else. God can't be in this. There's, there's no way that God could be active or could be a part of this. Someone hurts us. Our natural tendency is to want to fight back, hurt them back. And yet God says, my way, he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will pay. He said, don't you touch them. Overcome evil with good. Don't you do what they do. Don't you fight fire with fire. Don't do that. But our natural tendency is to take over, isn't it? To Take control and uh, to hurt them back. When we're in a bad marriage, we say there's no way God could want me to stay in this marriage. I am so miserable. I am so unhappy. This person, I don't love them anymore. I don't feel anything for them anymore. And so our tendency is to say and to justify it, God can't love this. God can't like this. I must need to get out. Or make some kind of change at work. And you've been working hard and you've been faithful to your employer. You've been doing this and they do something. They don't promote you. They pass you over. They change your job description. They do something that, that hurts you, that wounds you. And you say, you know, I've, ha I've, I've had enough of this. They can't tell me what to do anymore. I'm going to go get a new job. Or there's some kind of personal crisis, some illness, financial problem, something comes into our life, and we resist it, we fight it, we go run to this way, or we run that way, we look for some kind of help, we do everything but turn to God. And you know what the root of that is? The bottom line behind all of that behavior, behind all that activity, you know what it is? Pride. Pride. You know, it's really interesting that just before this verse, in verse 5, 
Peter has been talking about pride. Listen to what he says. Likewise, you younger people, and he's talking about the whole church in contrast to the elders, which we studied last week. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I don't need you. I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to listen to what my leaders say. I don't need to listen to what another brother or sister in Christ says. I don't need you. I don't need to listen to you. And that's pride. That's raw pride. And this causes Peter to think about the way you and I respond when God does something that we don't like. When God allows something into our life that we don't like, how do we respond to it? God, you don't know what's best for me. But the problem is that God opposes the proud. And listen, when I'm in trouble, I got enough troubles. I don't need to make God an enemy, do I? I need him on my side. And God opposes the proud. In Psalm 138, verse 6, the Bible says that the Lord is on high, even though he's mighty and on high and on his throne, it says, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. He's not close to the proud, but he's all over the lowly. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, says the Lord, but on this one will I look. On this one I'm going to pay attention. On this one I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Not the person who thinks they got it all together. Not the person that thinks they know better than God what's best for them. I don't care what's happened. The best thing you and I can do is yield ourselves before God. And that's what Peter says. He says, when real trouble comes in your life, I'm not talking about picking problems. I'm talking about big things, horrific things, unspeakable things, things that are unbearable. When they come into your life, what's the first thing you need to do? He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The essence of that word, humble, means to lower yourself like people would do when a victorious general was marching through a city and they would all bow before him because he was the victorious one and they would all bow and surrender before him and he says humble yourselves humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God when that stuff happens that needs to be the first thing you do don't run to the bank don't run to your friends don't run and do your own thing he says fall on your face face down before the Lord that's why Jesus taught in Matthew 18, 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is the remarkable characteristic of a child? In their humility, it's this. They are dependent on others for their protection, for their survival, for their well-being, for their clothes, for their food. They are dependent. Humble yourself like a child, he says. Be dependent on the Lord. Lie before him. Face down before him. And say, oh God, I don't understand this. I don't know why you have allowed this to come into my life. But Father, I trust you. I trust you. And I know that you are good. Everything you do is good. Peter tells us is a third thing. God's not the author of evil, but he's the only way to escape it. And so he says, number three, 
Let every fear and problem drive you to him and not away from him. Let it drive you to him and not away from him. Look at verse 7. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So Peter's been saying this all along throughout this book. This has been a consistent message. For example, in chapter 2, verse 23, he says about Jesus, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him. What does he do? He doesn't run from God. He comes to God and says, here I am. I'm your son, and I'm not going to run. And I, don't under- I may not understand what's happening, but I'm your son, the son of God. The cross is coming. Humiliation is coming. Pain is coming. Separation from the Father is coming. He commits himself to God. Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And what's true of Jesus is also what we need to do. In chapter 4, verse 19, Peter writes, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. Same thing. We do what Jesus did. We come to the Lord and we say, here I am. You can do with me, Father, whatever you want. And uh, I'm not going to let this drive me away from you. I'm going to come to you and draw even closer. Here I am. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Do with me whatever you want. So Peter's very practical at this moment about what's on your heart. He says, casting all your care upon him. That word care means to be pulled in different directions. We would use the word distraction, but anything that distracts you, pulls you away from God, comes under this word for care, casting all your care on him. And he says,